You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think they all do things well. You know, we inherited some guys, and, and they're all great kids, first and foremost. I love being around them. Every single one of them has to just get more familiar with the offense. It, it's funny watching that position more than any other. It takes a while, and once it clicks, it really clicks. But there's a lot of little details, a lot of things happening really fast, and quarterbacks have to be able to manage all that. And I see every one of the guys making some good plays, um, and then a play that's not so good. And most of the time, it's because they're just a little behind mentally. They don't quite understand the concept or they can't quite get there in the time it takes us to snap the ball. Well, uh, you guys are aware about Patrick. He wasn't at practice, and so you guys can get the lowdown on that. But uh, the, the four guys that are uh, here, obviously Noah can't play, but obviously Andrew Bunch and Tristan and, and Adrian are, are doing real well, you know. So we're getting those reps taken care of and uh, making sure they get rotated through. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus, and later we'll be joined by Matt Reynoldson here on the show. But we start the show off with breaking news that came out of practice uh, for Nebraska uh, on Thursday as it was confirmed and announced uh, by Patrick O'Brien in Nebraska that uh, Patrick O'Brien has been granted his scholarship release and he will go his own way. And Guys, I, I don't think it was really a matter of when this was going to happen um, or if it was going to happen. It was more when. And, and, and with Patrick O'Brien, um, he made it official. And, and I think it all started on Tuesday. The writing was on the wall uh, with that quarterback position. It sounded like the reps got changed uh, as they crossed the midway point. And uh, O'Brien kind of saw that and, and, and knew that it was time to go somewhere else. And I actually commend Coach Frost – that he was upfront, open, and honest with Patrick, and in a lot of ways, he can he can relate with Patrick O'Brien because in you know 1995, Scott Frost was Patrick O'Brien. He was at Stanford playing for Bill Walsh. He was not a fit as a quarterback for Bill Walsh, and he transferred and played at Nebraska, where he was a fit with Tom Osborne and went on to win a national championship. And I, I'm sure when he has that conversation, Robin, with a guy like P.O.B., he can relate in a lot of ways to, to what a kid like Patrick is probably going through. Yeah, this was no surprise by any stretch. In fact, I think going into it, um, of all those scholarship guys, Patrick kind of just seemed like the oddest man out of the, of that group um, just with his skill set. So, I mean, that, that the news today, I don't think really caught anybody off guard, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think that they did him right uh, with how they handled it. Um, they are leaving him with plenty of opportunity to go find a new destination, but um, you know, they gave him a chance. You know, they, they didn't just say, Hey, look, we don't think you're going to fit our scheme. Don't even bother. They let him basically go through, you know, entire offseason program and, you know, a couple weeks of spring ball uh, to kind of put tangible evidence saying, listen, um, you know, you, you can see it. We can see it. This probably is just a mutual best interest parting of ways here. And so I think that, you know, is a fair way to do it. Um, and it also, like I said, gives gives Patrick a, a plenty of time and opportunity to find a new home, um, get enrolled, you know, finish out the semester here, uh, and then just kind of get the ball rolling on his next venture. Yeah, the timing of it all is not, I'd say it's not typical. You know, usually you don't see this type of thing happen until after spring football, but I think it's probably most beneficial for everybody involved when you, when you look at uh, Patrick not 
taking reps from from other guys that are going to be here next fall now uh, through the duration of spring football plus now he's able to kind of get his ducks in a row and start figuring out what his next play is going to be you know what what schools may be available for him out there and and uh, where he may or may not want to visit so I think for everybody involved this the timing of it works out fairly well and let's face it as we discussed the Patrick O'Brien transfer here on the Husker Alliance show roster management was going to be a part of this spring and it's an ongoing discussion with this staff as they kind of look at what they have. I mean, they, they still are four over the limit. If you count Noah Bedrill going on this summer, like most of us expect him to, if um, he gets a waiver, which he should get a waiver as far as being, um, you know, the re- or the release that he wasn't able to get initially from UCF, but uh, they still got to let go of four more players here from now until the start of fall camp in August. So, Patrick O'Brien may be the first, but he's not going to be the last guy to leave the program here from now until the end of the spring. Yeah, this is part of the process, and it happens anytime you have a coaching change, and especially uh, with just a systematic overhaul on both sides of the ball. I mean, there are going to be guys that just don't fit what Nebraska's new staff wants to do um, on offense and on defense, and um, some guys are going to figure that out sooner than others, and obviously Patrick O'Brien was um, pretty uh, aware of where he stood in the pecking order that was starting to shape up with that quarterback group, and so, I mean, like I said, I think that's kind of the the first domino that um, of... A handful more of uh, players that decide to, to, to move on or um, you know maybe encouraged to move on to have opportunities to actually see the field somewhere else yeah I mean transfers happen every year but especially when you look at this type of situation where you, where you have a new coaching staff new systems being installed um, you know it's it's something I think everybody anticipated and then with how they kind of finished recruiting last last uh, February and they were over the limit I mean this is it's kind of the the nature of the beast where you're gonna have to have a handful of guys move on in order to stay at the 85 scholarship Limit. Well, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Nebraska now done with nine spring practices. They'll come back on Saturday for spring practice number 10, and uh, that will also be the coaches' clinic. They're expecting about 800 coaches uh, to be in Lincoln on Friday and Saturday. And let me tell you, about a year ago, I think, Nate, it was probably, what, maybe 200 to 300 at the clinic at the most? Yeah, something like that. I mean, it was it was not if it was over three hundred, it wasn't much over three hundred. And that, that's what's been really interesting to watch. I mean, these Saturday practices have all just been a circus, and and we still even got to the biggest circus of them all, April twenty first, the Red White Spring Game. But you think about it, the, the the very first Saturday they had, it was a junior day, and uh, there were a number of people in practice. Then last Saturday. You had over 100 former players there in a junior day. And then this Saturday, you're going to have 800 coaches there and um, God knows who else. So um, everybody wants a piece of what's going on right now with Nebraska football. They even had to limit the parents to just two practices. And they happen to be uh, April 5th, April 10th uh, that parents could attend. But it's, it's pretty amazing how many people want to be a part of what's going on. Well, and you have to regulate it. I mean, uh, you you have to figure out what's what's going to work. And, and I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces here. So I think with the way that they have run things and, and tried to limit distractions, but also try to give people the proper access and uh, so on and so forth, I think it's worked out fairly well. Uh, but yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see uh, or hear some feedback from this coaches clinic, uh, you know, compared to, to how you know, it's been run in the past. Well, as far as managing 
managing just the access that people get. I think that's you have to do that right off the bat. Like if you just have kind of an open door policy in the spring, and then all of a sudden the season rolls around, and you try and shut it down. That's not going to go over well. You know, people are going to get upset. Egos are going to get in the way. So um, Frost is setting the tone that you know we'll give you you know some some glimpses here and there, but by and large this is going to be a pretty controlled environment. We don't want this thing to be a circus because there's already so much going on with what they're trying to do uh, over the course of this offseason. The last thing they need is to have you know unnecessary distractions of you know hundreds or even sometimes over a thousand people on the sideline and, and for the sake of just that many people i hope saturday's practice will be outdoors but the weather does not look great uh, so that will be interesting to see but uh, we've got a full show here on tap on the husker online show uh, we're going to talk offensive and defensive spring storylines and we got the mailbag back matt reynoldson is back with us um, class conflicts have uh, kept our interns out of the studio here for our last several shows this semester. Uh, but we'll hear from Matt as we've got a full bag of questions. Then Nebraska did hold their second junior day this spring. Uh, we'll talk to Nate Klaus on that as they had some pretty high-profile guys show up, some that we knew about, and a handful of guys that were surprise visitors. We'll get Nate's thoughts on all of that. But next, we're going to talk more about that quarterback race, more about the offense. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I want to try to be as, as best as I can be personally um, and then um, try and gain a starting role. I think that's all of the quarterback's goal. And um, then obviously as a team, we want to win a championship. Patience is big, but I understand. I know what I signed up for. I know what uh, the transferring um, entailed, and I knew what I was getting into. Um, and I'll benefit personally from a year of being able to lift to prepare um, and to advance myself physically and mentally. So patience is a big part of it. But again, also being here to help these guys is big. I still have a role on this team. I have a role to play, and I'm here to do that to the best of my ability. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. It was quarterback week here in Lincoln, as we already talked about in the opening segment. Uh, Patrick O'Brien officially leaving the program, uh, got his release on uh, Wednesday, Thursday here from head coach Scott Frost. And you just heard from two of now the remaining four quarterbacks left at Nebraska. But uh, really today, right now, they will go into the season with just two scholarship quarterbacks available, Tristan Jebbia. Adrian Martinez, the true freshman, so a redshirt freshman, a true freshman. You've got Noah Vedrill, who has to sit out. And then the surprise wild card, Andrew Bunch, who's a Juco sophomore. He was a three-star recruit, so you almost can't look at Bunch as just your typical developmental walk-on. He played in a year of junior college football, um, started and you know was highly ranked out of high school, just decided to go a different route, but... When you just put it on the surface, Robin, that quarterback situation is scary for 2018 with the limited numbers. Yeah, scary, but it's not uh, something we already didn't know was going to be a, a situation this entire offseason. You know, I mean, just the, the not only the, the total change in offense, I mean, Patrick O'Brien was the only guy who had ever even played in a collegiate game, and he threw 30 passes. Uh, so, I mean, inexperience was the biggest hurdle facing that in group going into this deal. And now when you remove one of those pieces, um, it's, a, it's a smaller room. But uh, you talked about Andrew Bunch. Um, I don't think he's just your typical spring story guy, you know, that just gets uh, fluffed for the few weeks before the spring game and everybody forgets about him. Um, you know, Mario Verdusco uh, said, you know, you, you shouldn't think of him as just a depth filler and just some typical walk-on because they don't view him that way. And he doesn't view himself that way. 
And, you know, in the little glimpse of practice we were able to watch earlier this spring, um, he made some plays, you know, both with his arm and his feet. Uh, and I think that he is more than capable of running this offense. Now, I personally think that this job is Jebby is to lose. Um, I think that he has um, got the most poise and I think he's the most polished of that group and then you combine you know the fact that he seems to put on a little bit of weight uh, probably needs to add more uh, by the time the fall rolls around um, but he's a better runner than most people thought he was going to be and he's an efficient runner uh, so I think in a lot of ways he fits best what they want the quarterback to be in this offense and so um, that would be my projection right now I think Adrian Martinez is probably um, or should, if they can, potentially redshirt him to allow that shoulder to get back to 100% and um, just, you know, let him adjust to college life. Uh, but I think by and large, you know, they, they feel a lot better about that group given the lack of experience that, you know, you see on the surface of it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think, I mean, when you look at what they've got, there there are some intriguing options there. And um, especially a guy like Tristan Jebby, I think that, um, you know, the, the big question about him was, okay, can he run? He was recruited to, to operate in a pro-style offense. He never really ran much in high school, uh, but he wasn't asked to run in high school. I mean, in, he couldn't. I, <laughs> he yeah. had two quarterbacks on the roster. Yeah, exactly. He got hurt. The Calabasas was hurting there. Exactly. And and, uh, and he was a record-setting quarterback there at Calabasas in that offense. And I think that one thing that has benefited him is the fact that, that his coach in, in high school, uh, Rick and Casey Clausen, uh, they they demanded him to, to make quick decisions, make make a read and make a quick decision. And I think I, I guarantee you that has helped him kind of, uh, you know, I guess – kind of get comfortable with this offense, be able to make quick decisions in this offense. And then he's more athletic than what a lot of people give him credit for. And then Andrew Bunch uh, in the high school and in, in junior college, he ran an up-tempo uh, system. He was kind of a dual-threat guy. And, uh, and and he's kind of interesting backstory. Is his, his dad was a walk-on at Nebraska, too. So there's there's a little bit of a, you know, a storyline there, too. But both those guys, I think, have the ability to operate this system. And with Jevia, too, um, you know, he was obviously rated, you know, a pro-style quarterback uh, by rivals, but uh, he compared his offense he ran at Calabasas more to like what Washington State runs and what Cal ran, um, you know, a run-and-shoot style offense that um, featured more mobility from the quarterback position than just your typical pocket passer. So I think that uh, this system actually lends itself maybe a little bit more to what he did in high school and what made him so successful at Calabasas. And to me, the spring is more a matter of, did, did he really want to do this? And he's proven that. And I think that's the difference between him and O'Brien. I mean, you just got the sense O'Brien really didn't want to do it, but he was going to try it out, and, and he knew this wasn't going to be a fit. It's clear to me Jebbia wants to be here. I still go back to the week after Mike Riley got fired. It was a Saturday when Riley got fired. I'm over in the facility on Thursday. Tristan Jebbia is in there with no head coach at Nebraska. He's organizing and running a practice of about eight players going through plays and drills. He wants to be a Nebraska Cornhusker, and I think that's as important to this as anything. And, and he wants to be a quarterback here, and he's willing to you know, change who he is and, and, and go the extra mile. And I think they honestly have to start Jebbia. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think you got Martinez waiting, and he could play too, but – it just, you know, he, to me, makes the most sense for so many reasons right now. Uh, but you know that you probably might play a bunch or a Martinez this year as well. But I would, today, I would be, 
I don't want to say very surprised, but surprised if Jebby is not the guy. Yeah, I'll go as far. I'll be very surprised if he's not the starter. I mean, I think you, you just listen to him talk. You hear the coaches talk about him. Um, I think they are basically giving him every opportunity to win the job this this spring, and then certainly um, on into fall. Camp. And he's a respected leader. That's he is, the other thing. And that's that's you can't replace that. I mean, that's something that you can't teach. He has those intangibles, I think, that commands the respect. Even though he's a redshirt freshman, um, there the receivers in that room respect him. The offensive line respect him. And you know, examples like what you pointed out, Sean. I mean, organizing workouts on his own as a, a true freshman, essentially. Uh, I mean, that speaks volumes as to. What what this kid is made up of. And I mean, you talk about all the intangibles you want on a quarterback. That's the type of stuff that um, may be the separator above all else. Well, and he's mature. I mean, you think about a year ago, he got here early and he was living with Keyshawn Johnson Jr. He came to Nebraska with, he didn't like kind of what was going on around him. And he moved out of that house, Nate. I mean, you, you could speak to that as much as anybody. I mean, he, a lot of guys aren't like that. I mean, but he's willing to kind of do things that a leader need, needs to do, even though it may not be popular or something easy to do. Yeah, I mean, Tristan's always been wired a little bit different. And, uh, and he, I mean, he's always been a tremendous leader. He's always been a uh, very, very hard worker. Uh, even during his redshirt year, I mean, you would hear that he was be the last person up in the facility watching film or, or drawing things up on the board or asking questions about this or that. Um, and he was a redshirt. I mean, a lot of a lot of times when a guy's redshirting, they'll, they'll kind of pack it in for a year and, and just kind of bide their time until they're, they're able to kind of work for the, the position. But that was, that's not in Tristan's DNA. I mean, he's he's a guy that has always been wired as, as a hard worker. He loves football. Uh, he loves his teammates. And, and transferring was never an option. And, and I think that, uh, I mean, he was even a little frustrated that he didn't get his hands on the new playbook uh, as early as, as he did. He would have liked to have gotten it about the day after Scott Frost was announced as the head coach. Yeah, it's funny. Verdu- Mario Verdusco mentioned that maybe the biggest uh, knock on Tristan Jebby is that he's too hard on himself sometimes that when he makes mistakes, it just kind of eats him up. And uh, Mario has to like kind of pull him aside and be like, hey, man, just just play. You know, get, make sure your feet are in the right spot, your eyes are in the right spot, and put the ball where it needs to be, and we'll, we'll do the rest. You know, you don't have to go out there and win a championship on every play. And so, um, if anything, they're having to kind of pull back the reins on him a little bit just because he is such a competitor with such a desire to be perfect. And next week will be interesting how they format the red-white game and kind of what they do with those quarterbacks. We know they're not going to be live. Heck, I'll be curious even Saturday if they scrimmage. I've talked to some people about that, um, and I I think Frost is a little worried. Can this team actually go 100-plus plays at the pace they want and make it an efficient practice? So that's something that they're going to continue to discuss here as a spring ball Almost gets that final week here. But uh, when we come back, we want to talk some defense as well as uh, Nebraska uh, still has a lot of storylines and things to kind of keep tabs on here on the defense. We'll discuss some guys like Peyton Newell and others next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. They got to understand it's on the line every time we go out there. I saw a little more of it today. I see some guys that are competitors that are embracing that and really attacking. Uh, But I want the whole team to do it. It can't be a part-time thing. Nebraska football is built on guys that won't quit, won't give up, are going to be tough and refuse to lose. We got some of it. We need to build more more of it. I just saw about 10 guys run through a brick wall there as Scott Frost made that statement. I mean, he, he definitely has said all the right things 
about what it means to be a Nebraska Cornhusker. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus back here on the Husker Online Show. And, you know, he, he understands it. He gets it because he is in Nebraska. And he played here. He played for Coach Osborne. He's brought Coach Osborne back into the program. He's got a strength coach in Zach Duvall that's a Nebraskan. He's got Greg Austin, who played for Milt Tenniper and Bill Callahan as an offensive lineman. Ryan Held, who played for Tom Osborne. Um, you go down the line, he's got a staff of guys that get it, that want to be here, that understand it. And um, that, to me, above anything, is probably the biggest storyline of this spring, the culture uh, of what he's trying to build. And this is not a made-up BS thing. We've heard a lot of talk about we're doing it the Nebraska way or trying to, but that, that a lot of those guys didn't understand that. You've got a guy doing it that understands it, and I think it's really having an effect on this team. Well, I think the most important part about it is, you know, obviously he gets what this program is built upon, um, what it's all about, uh, the tradition and all that stuff. But he also understands, you know, both the, the disadvantages and the hurdles you have to overcome to win here and also the things that can help you build a program. And I think that he's tying all these things together and that knowledge into establishing a foundation um, that has really been lacking. I mean, I think that the identity of Nebraska football has been so back and forth and unsettled and um, just kind of a mystery for far too long to where it was impossible to build anything because they were trying to change what they do every single year. Well, that's not going to be the case. Scott Frost, if anything, um, he's a very confident coach. He's a very confident person. And that you need that confidence when you are taking on a project like he is here at Nebraska. I mean, he is establishing an identity, and he is living that identity. He knows the offense he wants to run. He won't knows the mentality he wants his defense to play with, whether it be hitting and forcing turnovers and making plays, um, you know, not fearing failure, not you know getting on guys, chewing them out, cussing them out whenever they make a mistake. And I think those are the types of building blocks that are going to be, um, you know, what this program um, basically is, is built upon for, for, for years to come. And the fact that he has an entire coaching staff of full-time assistants that are all on 100% the same page with that mentality, that is going to make this process so much easier than it would be um, in, in basically any other circumstance. Well, and he's, he's got the blueprint. He's coming in. He's not just some guy coming in and saying, okay, this is how we're going to do things now. Right. And, and, you know, the players sitting back up going, okay, well, why should we listen to you? I mean, he's got a track record, he, and he's got kind of the blueprint for success. And, and these guys have seen it firsthand. You know, they, they all watched the last couple of games at UCF. I'm sure a lot of them followed UCF's season as the Scott Frost talk became more and more prevalent uh, during as the year went along. And, um, you know, he, he built a win. And these guys want to win. They don't want to go four and eight again. And so they're hungry to buy in and, and do whatever is being asked of them. You know, whatever Coach Frost says or whatever the assistants say, these guys are doing. And, and, and in a lot of cases, I think they're doing even more, going even a little above and beyond what they're being asked to do because they're hungry to be better. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. Is, let's talk some defense, guys. Um, you know, it's interesting to kind of follow – uh, how things have played out with the defense. Um, I think we've established last week that there's going to be at least three newcomers that can make a big impact. Will Honus, uh, Breon Dixon, if he's cleared by the NCAA, and Deontay Williams. Those three Juco slash transfer guys uh, appear to be the part. But we've seen some other guys kind of make moves. And, you know, one guy, Peyton Newell, um, is, has been, you know, kind of 
on the back burner the last four years here at Nebraska. That last year was the first year he actually made a travel roster. Um, but he, you know, he told some interesting stuff this last Saturday that he added what twenty three pounds of muscle to his frame. And that's insane. Um, and the year before, he only added one pound of muscle. So it gave you kind of an insight of what's going on with Zach Duvall. And you, you see it in a Ben Stilley, the gains he's made already. I mean, Stilley looks the part. Um, a lot of guys have made these massive gains, and I'll be curious kind of what they can do now in the summer. Well, a lot of those defensive guys, it's not just putting on a bunch of weight and muscle. They're transforming their bodies to be much more athletic uh, specimens. I mean, Mick Stoltenberg still weighs 310 pounds, which is what he weighed last year. But even in his fifth offseason of strength and conditioning, he already feels like he's made significant gains in his strength, in his quickness, his flexibility, um, to where, you know, I think that, that that's the type of change that we're seeing uh, most dramatic of all. I mean, Freedom Akamoladun, um, you know, he hasn't put on a ton of weight, but, you know, I mean, he's squatting well over 600 pounds now. And so, I mean, you're just seeing across the board, you know, on the defensive line, at the linebacker, that, uh, you know, there, there are guys that are making um, big strides. And while it might not show up in just their weight and how their frame, but you can see it in how they're put together and the, it's translating into the performance on the field. Yeah, the, the Zach Duvall effect is is very real. Um, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen it, like you said, Robin, it's not necessarily huge changes as far as, um, you know, in, in across the board as far as guys gaining a ton of, of weight or or whatever, but it's the the uh, you know their compositions have all changed, and I think that uh, one thing that's really stood out to me is when they talk about the type of exercises that they've been doing are position p- specific and and they're geared towards allowing these guys to um, to take what they're doing in the weight room and, and translate it to the football field, and and there is going to be a change in what these guys are being asked to do, especially up front in that defensive line, and uh, I think it's going to be more exciting to watch uh, certainly than what we saw last year the other thing i was told this week when you look at this defense somebody said sean they got a lot of linebackers that can run and it will be interesting if 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 that translate because you know nate you follow the recruiting as well as anyone and we've always thought like god they're bringing in some linebackers that can move but the way they've played schematically especially under bob diaco we just didn't get to see that type of uh stuff translate on the field um, it will be interesting to see if, if they can do that. I know there's a lot of different packages and different looks that they're going to come out with and uh, try to use the personnel in different ways. Yeah, they, they if there's one position uh, on that defensive side of the football that has a plethora of, of athletes, it's definitely linebacker. And and it, you do I, I think you do have to give credit to what uh, Mike Riley and, and Trent, Trent Bray, Bray did. Um, you know, when they got here, there were only I think four linebackers on scholarship, and now there's there's so many good scholarship linebackers that it, I think it's kind of hard to say exactly how many guys are are going to be able to see time and make their way on the football field, but. Uh, I think in this defense, especially, they're not going to be paralyzed by an, an anal- you know, analysis and, and analyzing everything and making too many reads. They're going to be free to find the football and go get it and, and use their athleticism to make plays. Well, another thing, too, is there's going to be a lot of guys that play because they have to because of the amount of time the defense is going to be on the field by nature of the offense that they run. Um, you know, I think what Barrett Rude said, he wants to play four to six inside linebackers yep. per game. 
I mean, six, four to six. Wow. So six inside, not just total linebackers, inside linebackers. So in two spots, potentially six guys could play in a game. That so, allows a guy like an Avery Robertson to get exactly. on the field. Exactly. So, I mean, just because, you know, there's only so many starting spots doesn't mean guys can't see significant snaps. And again, um, just kind of by default with how they play offensively, uh, this defense is going to be on the field a lot and they're going to need fresh legs and fresh bodies as much as possible, especially as the season goes on, injuries start to, um, nicks and bruises start to rack up. Um, so, uh, that's why having those numbers, especially um, at a linebacker position, you know, when you got you know four, maybe five guys on the field, uh, you're you're going to have to need that depth, and that's going to be a huge asset for them. And and I think that's been a complaint of Nebraska fans the last several years that they haven't played enough different players in games. They've kind of just stuck with the starting eleven, maybe thirteen guys on the field, and that was it. And if you can legitimately play that many more guys on the defense, that's how you build a better culture. That's how you keep more guys engaged, more guys bought in, because they do feel like they're a part of it. Where if you're only going to play you know, 11 guys and some of those 11 make mistakes and you don't take them out for making mistakes, it kind of creates a bad culture, Nate. Yeah, it really does. And, and the, you know, one of the interesting things that has stuck with me is the first time we were able to talk with the staff, Chenander said that ideally he's got 22 starters on defense, uh, 22 guys that, that can roll out there and can operate anything that he's going to call at any given point in time. And um, and that, that that's what they really need given how many plays that they run. You know, it's by the end of the year, they will have played three to four more games, um, you know, if when you look at the actual – snaps uh, than, than most other teams in the country. So they need a deep team. They need guys um, you know, at every position. They need to be extremely deep at every position given how many plays that, that they play. And, uh, and I think when you do that, you've got great competition. You have players that are engaged. And like you said, that, that culture, the overall culture on that side of the football is, is healthy. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring in Matt Reynoldson. It's the mailbag, and we'll take your questions next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I, I really like Jalen Bradley. I think he's doing a really good job. I think he fits this offense. You know, when we were at UCF, we liked him. So, uh, you know, he's a longer, bigger kid. He's got good hands. Um, he's picking it up. He's, he's engaged. You know, he's fluid. He's smooth. Uh, I think, I think Jalen Bradley has a bright future. I like where he's at, to be honest with you. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus, and uh, that was running backs coach Ryan Held about Jalen Bradley's spot here uh, in the future of the program. And please bring in uh, intern Matt Reynoldson, who has been busy with school and uh, busy covering baseball for us. Before we get to the mailbag, Matt, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk much baseball. There's really not a lot to discuss other than what the hell's going on with the baseball team. Yeah, a lot of discussions, a lot of negative discussions going on right now, it seems, because Nebraska not in very good shape right now, 15 and 16 on the year and right now sitting in 11th place in the Big Ten Conference. Certainly not something fans wanted to see uh, going into the Big Ten that a lot of fans thought Nebraska would dominate. So 15 conference games left, is that right? Uh, somewhere around there, I believe. Uh, five if, series? If they get all of the games in, I mean, weather's been a huge factor. And so doubleheader far. Friday, uh, they're just going to try to get as many games in as they can and then it's just going to be roll the dice Saturday, Sunday to get one game in, right? Yeah, they're going to try and get one game in. They, they haven't decided... Um, whether the weather will be worse Saturday or Sunday, but uh, it might just be another two-game weekend. Well, that would be tough uh, for Nebraska, but let's get to the mailbag. We've got a lot of questions. What do you got? Sure. Switching gears to football, which position group stands to benefit the most from the coaching change this year, and which benefits the group? 
or which group benefits the most long term? You know, that that's a great question uh, because there's a lot that you could honestly say, but I think long term offensive line. Um, I just think this system will fit kids around here better um, because I, I think the pro style system, it was really difficult for 500 mile radius kids because there really aren't any 500 mile radius high schools that really run a true pro style offense for O linemen. So um, I think a style like they're going to run is going to help the O line uh, on the short term. The receivers, I think, are going to have a really big, big year in this offense. Yeah, on the other side of the ball, too, I think just the change in mentality um, with this defense under Eric Shenander is going to benefit the defensive backs, particularly the corners, uh, far more than anyone could have thought. I mean, the fact that they're not going to be playing 10 to 12 yards off the ball on every play um, with playing in total fear of giving up a touchdown, uh, that is going to should ultimately uh, drastically change the production you see with turnovers, with just tackling, uh, and with you know disrupting routes off the ball and basically everything you need to do to be a good cornerback. So I think that should be a pretty noticeable shift right off the bat. Yeah, I'm going to go with offensive line, too. I think this cha- the change in offense will definitely benefit Nebraska because, it, like you said, Sean, it's so hard to find a true 6'6", you know, long-armed, prototypical left tackle within the 500-mile radius. And, and the, of course, the guys that do kind of fit that profile are extremely hard to actually to get uh, because they're getting offers from every, con- you know, every team in the country. Um, now, long-term, I think the defensive line has an opportunity to benefit the most you know DeAndre Thomas mentioned this past week that you know last year and last year's system with with their responsibilities what they were being asked to do a lot of times it was three defensive linemen against six blockers and um, you know as a defensive lineman of course you always want to try and have an opportunity to get in the backfield and and get a sack or have a tackle for loss but when you're when you're being blocked by two or three guys at a time that's kind of hard to do and and I think that this defense is going to be you know allow those guys to to be a little bit more athletic and, and attack a little bit more. Well, guys, obviously this conversation changes a little bit after today with Patrick O'Brien transferring out, but Nebraska's been looking at maybe a quarterback grad transfer possibility. Brandon Dawkins is a possibility from Arizona. They may be looking at others. So what are the pros and cons of utilizing the quarterback grad transfer market? I, I think the pro is maybe you get a guy that like that's better than what you have and that's where you have to decide if a Joe Burrow or whoever is better. But the cons are you totally disrupt your locker room and your team uh, because you're basically telling every one of your other quarterbacks that you guys aren't very good and we're bringing in somebody that we think is better than you. And by the way, he's only going to be here for a month or two and he's still going to take your job. So I think you have to – everyone wants to find the Russell Wilson 2011 Wisconsin thing. And – that's really only happened one time. Um, you know, nine out of ten times, a grad transfer quarterback doesn't really deliver anywhere close to maybe what you think it's going to be when you get it. Yeah, just ask Florida. I mean, how many times have they tried to do that system and it doesn't work? So, um, for, for the record, Brandon Dawson, Dawkins committed to Indiana. Indiana. So, he and is FAU. off the market. Nebraska really never was truly – I mean, they, they, they engaged – and that was it. Yeah, they kicked the tires just to kind of see what what the deal was there, but it was never a deal where they were talking about a visit or, or even an offering. I mean, they didn't even offer him a scholarship. So, um, yeah, it's it that is it's so hit or miss. And you, you can look at Oregon, um, you know, and they had success with with one grad transfer, and then the next grad transfer that they had did not really pan out for them. So, um, you, you got to be able to try and get lucky and catch uh, you know lightning in a bottle with that type of deal, and in a long 
run. A lot of times it's not worth it. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We're taking your questions with Matt Reynoldson in the mailbag. I got a recruiting question for you, but not really a 2019 recruiting question. Looking back a little bit, focusing on the spring game now and the depth it creates, but who do you think comes in in the fall and could possibly contribute right away? And there's a lot of guys, um, you know, you, you could go on. I mean, Miles Jones, I think when you just look at running backs in general, um, historically, uh, they are guys. But Caleb Tanner, um, if I'm going to go with just one, that's my guy right now. Yeah, and I guess, you know, with the, you mentioned Miles Jones, I mean, the fact that uh, more than halfway through spring ball, uh, Torrey Walters said no running back is separated in that room, and they're going to play, you know, maybe three to four guys uh, per game at that position. I mean, talk about a window of opportunity being wide open for an incoming true freshman. So, I mean, I think that in itself lends itself to a pretty good chance to see the field. Yeah, I think defensively, Caleb Tanner would be my pick to for a guy to, that, that could possibly come in and play right away, just given his pass rush ability and and I think that's something that this defense is is missing overall. Now, offensively, Miles Jones with his speed uh, is going to make an impact one way or another. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Whether it's only on special teams or whether it's as a as a slot receiver or or a running back, um, you know. And, and another guy is Cam Kate, Jones. Well, yeah, well, yeah, Cam Jones um, at, at safety. I think, and really, he was one of my favorite guys in the in the class overall. Um, I think that he's got an opportunity to come in and make a lot of noise question in the mailbag asking you guys to look back a little bit to some of your thoughts last year uh based on the culture under mike riley was there a moment in time that you said to yourself that maybe this isn't going to work i think just spending more and more time around bob diaco as we got to kind of learn him learn about him more you just realize don't there's more to a book than the cover on the cover bob diaco looked great i mean he was he looked the part had a resume from notre dame uh, but him coming in and just his mentality and style, it was such a disaster for Nebraska. And, and we learned more and more as the year went on. So um, the way when you go look, go back and look at it now, the way Banker was taken out, that that just was so that, that's not how the, that's not how the business should work. And uh, it, it just went down downward spiral from there when you look at it now. Yeah, and in retrospect for me, you know, one of the things that now looking back just is really odd was the fact that Mike Riley was so difficult to find on the practice field. He was just kind of lurking around, didn't really do much coaching. Uh, and for the head coach to just basically let your assistants do everything each practice and have all the interactions with your players, um, that should have been a much bigger red flag for me personally than it ended up being. I mean, you can especially compare it to Scott Frost. Scott Frost is in there like throwing with the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, we saw it at Central Florida running the triple option and preparing for a game. I mean, those are the types of things a coach should be doing. You should, you're not supposed to be a guy that you're asking yourself, hey, where's, where's Mike Riley? Where's the head coach? And you have to like actively search for him because he doesn't have a presence during each and every practice. Yeah, I think my red flag moment was uh, during the Arkansas State game, the home opener last year, when it was just like, what is going on? This is not, you know, <laughs> this does not look right or feel right. Uh, you just, I, I got the sense that during that game that, that boy, this could be yeah. a long season. Well, then 42 points in the first half at Oregon the next week. Yeah, exactly. When you have over 25,000 fans that spend thousands of dollars to go watch you play and you give them a 42 point defensive half out of Oregon. I mean, I remember we, Robin and I, a longtime writer, Tom Chattel from the World Herald, was sitting by Robin and and I and he just looked at us and he goes, "What in the? I'll, you know, just what are we watching here?" And 
Um, and, and, you know, I think at that point, you know, the wheels started to move. But we got time for one more, Matt. What do you got? All right, guys. If you could change the ending of one TV show or movie, which would you change and how? Man. Well, Sopranos, I, I think I would like to know, like, if Tony really was taken out in the diner at the end. Um, they kind of like fade to black. Spoiler alert! Um, yeah. Oh come on, this show is like over ten years old. If you haven't watched it, get. But at the very, very end, it just fades to black, and there's a lot of theories out there. Like when you know he was talking to his brother-in-law that eventually was killed in the show too. Uh, that when you die, you eventually just fade to black, um, and that's what happens. And and that's how the show ended. So they leave you to believe that's how it happened, but you didn't see anybody go in the restaurant and shoot him or do anything. So. You, you kind of wanted some closure on that. Like what happened to Tony Soprano? Yeah, I would probably go, you know, obviously this is an, a real life thing, but the, the ending of Friday night lights, I wish they would have won. I was so invested in that Permian Panther <laughs> team. And then they lost to Dallas Carter and it was in a, a, a questionable call, you know, that needed a touchdown and I'm still upset about it. Yeah. With me, I, I think the whole breaking bad, better call Saul, uh, you know, saga, is is uh it's starting to the better call Saul part is is really you know starting to irk me. I, I know that it I know it hasn't ended, so I can't really you know say that I would completely do it differently. But it's just dragging on and on, and you're you kind of brother know, drive you nuts. Yeah, you kind of know what what could be happening, but it's just going slow, very slow. I got to go with the gray. Uh, Liam Neeson facing a bunch of wolves breaks the bottles and goes after. Uh, this pack of wolves with uh, broken <laughs> bottles on his hands. You don't know what it, you don't see what happens because it just kind of fades to black or fades to gray afterwards. That was just a terrible ending to a movie. True Detective could have a better ending too. Part one. I mean, there's it ended okay, but you know, just you wanted to see like everybody go yeah. down at the end of True Detective season one. And, a lot of a lot of build up and didn't quite satisfy at the end. But all right, that wraps up the mailbag. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to close the show with a full recap of Junior Day from Nate Klaus. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. As we are talking recruiting, Nebraska held their second junior day of the spring, and they'll have another big one on the red-white game. But uh, no junior day this week. Instead, there'll be about eight or nine hundred high school coaches, and it will be like another junior day. There'll be enough. Uh, there'll be enough action going on, if not more than normal. But Nate, um, it was another pretty eventful day for Nebraska in recruiting. In terms of number one, they got a commit uh, from an Oklahoma running back. Um, uh, then, you know, they had a big-time quarterback on campus as well, um, Luke McCaffrey. Before we get to the latest commit in Thomas Grayson, um, I wanted to get to Luke McCaffrey, the son of Ed McCaffrey, the brother of Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a, kind of a big development. It was somewhat of a surprise that he made it to campus, uh, kind of flew under the radar a little bit there. Uh, but this was the first quarterback that has visited Nebraska this spring. Um, and he just landed his offer from the Huskers about uh, about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Uh, it decided to make the trip with his father, and it went unbelievably well. Uh, they felt like they not only do they fit in with the system, uh, which I, I think if, if you watch his film, it's, it's easy to see why Nebraska 
Nebraska is recruiting him, but also it, he he liked the the overall atmosphere. He liked uh, you know how competitive Coach Frost is and, and how they how they run everything uh, in all aspects of of this of the program. So I think it was a very productive visit, and and uh, you know I think right now. Uh, you'd have to consider Nebraska if they're not the leader for Luke McCaffrey. I think they're right up towards the top, and and if there's a quarterback out there that they have offered that you could say may or you know may be a, a Nebraska lean, it, it's probably Luke. Um, and and so I think also when you look at the the in the within the 500 mile distance and, and everything, there's a lot of pieces here that that are kind of adding up, and we'll see what happens going forward. But definitely this was uh, one of the bigger storylines to to kind of come out of the weekend okay a couple questions on that Nate he's the first quarterback that they've offered that's been to campus correct yes and number two would you say he would be the number one QB target at this point for Scott Frost you know, and that's the hard part uh, with all of this is is there hasn't necessarily been a surefire number one guy emerge that you can tell that this staff is completely all in on. Uh, they've put all their eggs in, in one basket on one kid. But I will say that I think Luke McCaffrey is right up maybe with the, the top two or three guys uh, that they're going after. And, and really, since he's been the, the main guy to visit so far, I, I think you'd have to consider him the top target right now. Now, whether or not he's the number one guy on their board, that I don't know. But I think uh, out of out of you know when you look at who may uh, you know who who they could potentially get at that position, Luke is number one. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk quarterbacks. Now everyone's going to ask us, what about Max Duggan, Nate? And you know I think the writing on the wall is pretty clear. It just feels like everyone's gone their own way. Um, even Iowa looks to be out of it, and, and Duggan is going to commit here soon, and all signs point to him going to Minnesota. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's kind of the interesting thing. You know, about a, a two or three months ago, it looked like uh, Duggan was go- probably going to be that number one quarterback target, and that, you know, that he probably fit this offense fairly well. Uh, but as, as time has kind of gone on, I think that there have been some teams that, that have maybe fallen off a little bit. Maybe there's some concern about the ankle injury that he sustained. Uh, um, and, and I know that uh, you know Coach Frost is his track record of recruiting quarterbacks and evaluating quarterbacks is pretty darn good. Uh, I think they like Max Duggan, but they may not necessarily be all in on him. Um, you know, they obviously they spent time to go see him uh, during the during the evalu- or during the contact period before signing day, uh, and, and and they sent several coaches by there um, to kind of see him. But I, I don't I just don't think that he's necessarily in that top group right now and. And you're right. I think that Minnesota is probably the team to beat. And and I would look for him to make a decision, uh, certainly before the end of the month, maybe even before that. And Nate, Nebraska picked up commit number four, another 500-mile radius player, Thomas Grayson. Uh, right now he's a two-star in rivals, but that's mainly because he hasn't been fully evaluated. He's probably a 5'6", five, 5'7", five, three stars, my guess, uh, but one of the fastest running backs in terms of speed in the 100 meters you're going to find in, in the country. Yeah, it, definitely uh, one of the faster guys within the 500-mile radius, um, and he's one of the fastest players in the state of Oklahoma. He finished second in the 100 meters in the state track meet as a freshman, uh, has run a 10.74 so far this spring. So, I mean, he can flat out run and uh, and that's what you know what the staff is kind of recruiting at that position they want guys that can change a game with their speed they want guys that are 
a threat to to score every time they touch the football. And once they get in the open field, they can you know take it the distance. And and that's definitely what Thomas Grayson is really really good at. He helped lead his team to a state championship last year. The uh, Booker T. Washington and Tulsa they they went twelve and one in the largest classification in the state. Uh, he was their leading rusher, uh, ran for over thirteen hundred yards. I think uh, averaged seven point seven yards per carry. Um, and he's a kid, you know, he's not the biggest guy at 5'11". You know, he's listed at 190. He's probably closer to, to 175, 180, I would say. Uh, but he runs with some surprising power. He's got a great stiff arm. Uh, he can run between the tackles. Obviously has the speed to get to the edge there. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's the total package. The one thing that you don't really get a great sense for when you watch his film is are his hands. And that's obviously a, been kind of a big part of, um, you know, how this staff recruits running backs. And I, I, I have no doubt that he could probably catch football fairly well but uh, in that offense that he runs in high school they just don't necessarily use him like that but uh, the Huskers are going to take two running backs in this class and now that Thomas Grayson has jumped on board uh, they, they got one spot left so it's going to be interesting to see maybe if, if that impacts anybody else's decisions or their timetable uh, going forward. And Nate another surprise was Mosiah Newsom. he made his second visit to Nebraska in a month's time and you're the one that always told me, if a guy comes back a second time, well, if he comes back a third time, and it's looking like Messiah Newsom could be back maybe for the spring game as well, April 21st, what's the latest on this guy as Nebraska could really steal a guy out of eastern Iowa, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and Messiah Newsom, I think, is a great fit for this defense, but also – uh, could be a guy that you, if you end up getting him, you're, you're definitely stealing him away from the Iowa Hawkeyes. They, 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 you know, about a month ago, I think if you would have asked anybody on their coaching staff, they would tell you that they were going to end up getting Messiah Newsom. And now I guarantee you they're not so sure about that because he's been on campus twice in the span of three weeks and he's coming back for the spring game. Um, you know, and, and he's talking about making return visits to Nebraska. So I think the tide has really turned here uh, and he's really, really enjoyed every visit that he's had so far you know the first time he came in he wasn't able to really see practice uh, but he got to spend an entire day with the coaching staff and he, he loves the, the entire coaching staff well uh, this past weekend he was able to watch practice and really liked what he saw and uh, and he's talking about obviously wanting to see a game next fall before he makes a decision but I wouldn't be surprised if a decision came before then uh, he's 6'5", 260 pounds a very athletic kid and I think with fit in that defensive front very, very well. Nate, as far as some other, um, if you had to highlight one or two other things you took away from last weekend, uh, what stood out? Well, you know, and I'm going to look at the days that led up to last weekend because you had Chris Hickman and Braden Librock, two tight ends, two three-star tight ends. Um, you know, obviously Chris Hickman is, is one of the top players in the state out of Omaha Burke. Uh, that was his first time on campus with the new coaching staff, and he was able to spend an entire day virtually with, with the staff, and I think that was very beneficial uh, and probably helped move Nebraska up his list. And then Braden Librock, the, the 6'5", 210, 215-pound tight end out of Arizona, uh, out of Chandler, Arizona, uh, is really blown up this spring. So to get him on campus, I think, is a, was a big deal. And then Friday, they had John Olmstead, who's a Rivals 100 offensive tackle, uh, certainly a position of need there, top overall player in the state of New Jersey is on campus. And that type of thing doesn't happen very often. So I think when, when you're in, in a kid like that's top 10 and he 
he's taking visits to you and and is really talking about the new staff and you know just the overall how how much he likes the the system and the overall tradition for offensive linemen uh, at Nebraska. I think that's a very big deal. So all three of those unofficial visits before the junior day began, I think were were uh, you know I think a big move for Nebraska and all kind of crucial parts of all of those guys' recruitment. And I think that Nebraska did enough to kind of stick in it with those guys as they continue to narrow down their and, list. And Nate, briefly, a Nick Henrich visit is coming, it sounds like, soon? Yeah, Nick Henrich at Omaha Burke will be on campus April 17th. And and again, much like Chris Hickman and all the guys that I just got done talking about, I think that will be a crucial visit going forward. Now, I think Nebraska has done a really good job of, of letting both Nick and Chris Hickman know how much they want them. Uh, and they want to keep those guys in state. Uh, but they've continued to rack up offers. It seems like every other day they're they're tweeting about a new offer that they've landed. So uh, that April 17th visit from Nick Henrich I think is going to be uh, very important. But I think that, that Nebraska is doing enough to kind of you know stick in it with him and, and make up some ground that they may have lost. All right, it's going to be a busy weekend practice. we got baseball as well. So uh, plenty of things as well as recruiting. Uh, and next week, obviously, we will get you ready for the Red-White Spring Game. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 